You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. All right, welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hey, everybody. And today we have a, an extra special episode. We have two guests joining us. This might be our first episode ever with two guests. Um, we've got Sonia Williams, uh, who I've known for a number of years now. She's a, an OB-GYN physician at Green County General Hospital uh, in Indiana, founded in 1865. And she is the first black doctor ever at her hospital, which is kind of crazy in you know over 150 years of, of existence. And we also have Antoine Weary, who's one of the financial advisors here at Finity Group with us. And you know, we wanted to take a little bit of a different approach today than our normal episodes and just you know talk about you know being a minority in in predominantly uh, white industries, that in medicine and that in, especially in in financial services, and just give people a different perspective on what their experiences might be like and then maybe relate it somewhat to, to finances because um, everything kind of ties into money some way, somehow. So thank you both for joining us today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having us. So maybe uh, I'll start with you, Sonia. Um, maybe give us a little bit of background about yourself, your upbringing, why you became a doctor, and, and what led you to where you're at today. Way back there, huh? Okay. So um, actually, initially, my degree is in animal science. I wanted to be a veterinarian. But um, I had did a rotation with a OBGYN at Howard University, and that changed my mind. So I decided to apply to medical school instead of vet school my last year. Um, I did my training initially well, I went to medical school at Drexel um, College of Medicine in Philadelphia, and uh, grew up in Pensacola, New Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl. Hey, <laughs> and um, I did my first first year at Hyman Hospital in Philadelphia. And then finished my training at University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and I decided to work on the, in the Midwest. I didn't want to go back home to Philly. I wanted to experience a different part of the United States. And uh, I wanted to see what Chicago was like. So I decided to take a job in Illinois. So I initially started working in Aurora. Um, changed from a job there. I just wasn't happy there and decided to take another job in Indiana um, and wasn't happy there either. <laughs> and so then I decided to kind of start working as a locum, which is a physician who takes short-term um, positions to cover other physicians. And, uh, you know, and that's how I ended up in Linton. And um, I was very surprised to see that I really loved it here. It was two months. Of me working here it was supposed to, was only supposed to be two months, um, but I decided to stay. So um, that's that. And I love animals. I'm a big animal person. So there you go. There we go. And what about you, Anton? What what led you into this profession? 
Yeah, just a little bit about myself. I'm a city boy from Sacramento, California, born and raised. Uh, A little bit about myself and why I wanted to become a financial advisor. Really, a combination of a few things. One, I always knew growing up that I wanted to work in some field for the rest of my life where I get to dress up every day. So growing up, going to church with my family, I always loved getting dressed up for church. I just loved wearing a suit suit and tie, just looking good, feeling good, as a little 10-year-old in oversized dress slacks. But I loved dressing up and going to church. So I said, hey, you know what? I want to dress up every day. It sounds great. Uh, Here I am getting started in my career, working from home, and I only wear a polo every day. I rarely wear a shirt and tie. Funny how things work out. Um, So a combination of, hey, I know I want to dress up and do something where I can dress up every day. Another part of it is growing up with my grandmother and I, I've actually told some of my clients this, I love playing Monopoly. I'm a big Monopoly guy. I like games in general, did professional gaming, but I love playing Monopoly. Just something about the idea of buying and selling properties and making trades and just kicking my grandma's butt Monopoly my entire life. I said, okay, I like business. I like making business decisions here. And I was always really good at math. So when I went to college, I was like, hey, I know I want to dress up business people for movies, right? They dress up. So something in business just sounded good. Uh, my teachers at college said, well, hey, we're really good at numbers. Have you thought about finance or accounting? I said, ooh, sounds cool. Uh, I couldn't decide which one, so I was a freak, and I did both, finance and accounting. Don't suggest it for a lot of people. It's very hard to do both, but I majored in both of them in college. And something about working with people just sounded right to me, whether it was the the people aspect, being around church, or people aspect and just kicking people's butts in Monopoly. Um, I really enjoyed doing a personal finance route, and I've never looked back since. Yeah, we're glad you, you you chose that direction and came to join us. So, and I guess for both of you, I think I think this applies to you too, Antoine. Um, you know, or did you did you guys? I guess how did you guys to take decide to take your particular jobs? Um, you know, we're at the hospital and then obviously with Finity. And did you guys know that you were going to be one of the only or or the only minorities at those locations? Yes, I'll let you answer first. Okay. Um, I'm usually the only black female physician in most places. Um, So that's not new. Unless I'm working in an area that's predominantly, you know, minority um, black and brown people. as working as a locum, uh, you know, being from the East Coast and not really, well, I've been exposed to different parts of the country, but I wasn't so familiar with mid-Indiana. Um, it's very rural, it's very different than um, Indiana close to Chicago. So <clears throat> as I started working as a locum, I would ask my recruiter, okay, well, what is the makeup of the hospital? What is the makeup of the town? You know, and she would kind of give me an idea and then I would research it a little bit. So, and I started doing that because I would come across some positions where I would have an interview with the fellow physicians that were there and I could pick up that they were a little bit uncomfortable with me. And um, there were times when I, one particular, before I took this job, there was a job that I turned down because I, I just felt like, no, this is a locum job. This is not a permanent position. You're, you're, you're having me jump through 25 hoops to work there for three months. I'm not going to interview with you on a Zoom call multiple times. And then you want me to travel two and a half hours to meet you before you offer me this position. So 
I, I decided, you know, no, I'm not doing that. Um, so when my recruiter um, told me about this position, you know, I, I did some research and I, and my research is looking at the, you know, just Googling the hospital and looking to see who works there. And I could see that there wasn't a lot of us or I don't think there was any. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So when I came out for my interview, or when I spoke to the, the CEO, it, it just, she was very warm and welcoming. Um, but what I just didn't expect when I got here was that there was like no black people or brown people anywhere. So it was almost three weeks, two and a half to three weeks before I saw another black person. And when I saw this, <laughs> I was coming out of Walmart and he was, he was crossing the parkway or the, 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 um, the parking area and I stopped him. And you know, and I know Anton can talk about this, you know, we just speak differently to each other, you know? So when I saw him, I just said, hey brother, what's up? I said, hey, do you, do you, do you live here? And he was like, oh no, I don't live out here. <laughs> and I was like, well, where are we? He's like, oh yeah, no, you're not gonna find us out here. And I was like, oh my God. He's like, yeah. He said, well, maybe there is an Indian family that lives here, but you know, you're not gonna find black people out here. So, um, you know, that was really troubling to me. Um, even though I was experiencing, I had a really nice time. I, was, I felt very comfortable with the staff. It was the first time that I worked in a place where the, my only patient population were white women and, you know, and white girls. I, it, and, and I was looking at my schedule and I'm like, man, this is, this is going to be interesting. Like, how are they going to react to me? Um, you know, so it, it was, it was kind of jarring at first and, and very uncomfortable. I mean, it's not, with the history of this country, it is not comfortable to be in a rural setting um, and researching the history of this town. I mean, it was known as a sundown town. And I don't know if you know what that means, but I'm sure Anton does. Like, a sundown town, really, that's what it means. You better be out of there before sundown. And there is a history here. Um, so it, it was very uncomfortable um, but, and I was very conflicted because I enjoyed the patients and I enjoyed the people I worked with. That's what made it so hard for me. You know, I'm like, how can I, how can I be enjoying a place where it's so obvious that there is a reason why there are no people of color in this town? So, um, so yeah, I, I didn't expect, I didn't expect to be the only one, but I also didn't expect to enjoy where I'm working at now. Is maybe talk about that a little bit further, like, you know, it's got to be somewhat of a jarring experience, like what, what led you to decide to stay, and did you ever experience instances where you felt uncomfortable, or, or like you were treated differently, either by colleagues, or patients, or nurses, no, um, or whatever? This is a, well, okay, in my other positions, I can say definitely I've had situations where um, I won't be called... Now, I'm not talking about here in Linton, and I'm, this is, I think it would be a nice example to see why I decided to stay. But in other hospital systems that I've worked, I've been called Sonia, not Dr. Williams, by doctors, by nurses, um, by the patients. Um, I've never had a patient to say that I don't want to see her because she's black. But I think when you are a black person in this country or you are of... Um, 
a minority race, you just kind of develop a sixth sense and you can tell when that person is uncomfortable with you. So um, those things have happened. Um, can I say it's because I'm black? I, I just can't say that. I don't know, right? And that's the part of, of microaggressions that you can't always, you can't always pinpoint it, but you know there's something. Um, I've had places where the administration just was not, did not treat me equally to the other physicians. Um, and it was very obvious. It's obvious in how I was reviewed in terms of my, um, how I took care of my patients as compared to some of my other counterparts. Um, how I was scrutinized by my decision making compared to my other counterparts. How I have never been sued. I, I have, you know, never had a complication, um, knock on wood. Um, compared to other people where they, they, nothing happened to them. Um, so when I started to work here at Linton, it was the administration that really sets the tone and the administration here listened to me. They respected me. Um, and unfortunately, that is not common. Um, I have friends, most of my friends who are physicians or black women physicians and um, more than overqualified, well-qualified, just excellent physicians, and they've had very difficult times and challenges in their field, um, and, and you know why. It's not because of their capabilities. Most of the time it's because you know more than your counterparts, and you do better than your counterparts, and sometimes they're fearful of that. Um, so, working here in Linton, um, the administration allowed me to be me, and um, really welcomed me. And I think, and I know that's one of the reasons why I decided to stay. Absolutely. I think, Sonia, we're gonna wanna eventually tie this back to like how these things affect you financially too, because I think that's a really important component of all of this. But Antoine, can you, for a minute, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience in a very predominantly white male field? Yeah, I mean, hearing everything that Sonia said, I mean, it's definitely feel the same exact way. Even I played college football at a small town up in Oregon, um, at George Fox University, and it was the first time in my life where race, re where I really felt race and being singled out. So being in Sacramento, I don't know if it happens to be just the area that I grew up in, but it was very culturally diverse. I mean, I grew up to this day. I have really, really good friends who are black, who are white, Indian, Russian, Ukrainian, Hispanic. Like I have a lot, like it's, well, I have a lot of friends from a lot of different walks from life. So my entire upbringing was really like that. Now, yes, there's different areas where it's like, okay, this is pr predominantly, you know, like white high schools or white area. This is a little more, you know, minority area. But for the most part, like I said, I have friends, I can go down my entire phone contact list right now. It's a different race. Seems like every single contact. Uh, go to college. My college was predominantly white. It's the very first time that I walked around an entire campus and I saw just about no one that looked like me. It was very, very uncomfortable. It was very, very emotional as well. I mean, you just constantly feel secluded, different. You don't know if you're different is wrong um yeah it was a very tough transition even playing college football i mean to be honest you know you're thinking about a sport like football because a lot of minorities in the sport of football predominantly a lot of african-americans my college football team 
I think I could be wrong. My freshman year, we counted. It was like 11 of us. That was it. Like 140, 150 college football death chart. It's like 11. Somewhere around there. And it was really tough, right? I mean, those are the 10 guys that I was the closest with, but it's really hard even just having conversations with people where, just like Sonny said, you know, we talk to each other differently. You know, there's different things we can relate. One thing, I'll be brutally honest, you know, as a freshman in college, and you know, football always arrived first on campus in other sports, you know, uh, females, vol- women's volleyball team came eventually, you know, sitting in the cafeteria, kind of like, hey, you know, I kind of want to go see some new college girls, right? And a bunch of my teammates like, oh, can't you see we're talking about like tractors? I'm just sitting there like, wow, that is a culture shock because I know zero people who own a tractor. So I cannot contribute to this conversation whatsoever. If I'm being honest, I really don't know much what tractors are used for. But here are my teammates, like a whole group of guys talking about, oh, yeah, my dad got this tractor. It's an F-150 tractor. We do this, this, and that. I'm like, wow. I Nope, never went to a friend's house and they've never had a tractor. So, I mean, it's like four years of just difference. And, yeah, I really felt left out a majority of colleges. It's a tough transition. Um then you look at that and going into the industry of being a financial advisor, well, it was because of my college experience that this was even on my radar, right? I would say I was spoiled as a kid all the way up through high schools. I've always been around other races, other ethnicities and people. Um, so yes, that was put on my radar a lot when it came to transitioning to being a professional. And in terms of narrowing it down to come here to the great firm called Finity Group, you know, Infinity didn't have many minorities when I was applying, when I was looking. Um, there was a lot of different options. Don't get twisted, there's a lot of different options, a lot of good options on post-employment plans. I was very fortunate that my college had great connections and a great resource program to get college graduates um, jobs in the six months of graduation. I think the university has an amazing stat. I think it's like 83% or like 85% of graduates have jobs in the first six months of graduating. Um, they do a really awesome job. You know, some of which were big um, wealth management firms, also really big um, corporate finance jobs. Like one of them was Nike. The world headquarters is right there in Beaverton, Oregon. So, I mean, those are, those are a good amount of choices. And when Finity came along, you know, one of the what led me to go to Finity was not, oh, hey, there's a lot of minority of financial advisors. Right. Because, I mean, it just isn't. Um, that's just the truth. But, I mean, that would have been the same reality just about anywhere else that I went. So really, no matter where I decided to go, I knew that, hey, there's not a lot of me out there. There's not a lot of people that look and sound like me when it comes to being a financial advisor. That's just all about just grit and attitude, right? I mean, you could look at the situation and just shy away and say, no, I don't want to do it. Or you could tackle it head on. In my entire life, whether that was figuratively or literally in sports, um, I attacked things head on. You know, it is. it was very daunting going into becoming a financial advisor, being an African-American male. Um, fun fact, I mean, you know, from what I've seen, a lot of advisors here, especially as we transition to this virtual world of like, you know, Zoom calls and meeting virtually with clients, there's a good amount of advisors here at my own firm that, for example, don't use their webcams during meetings. When I first got started, I made it very, very clear with any advisors I work with, like, hey, every single one of my clients, with all my meetings, I'm going to have my webcam on. And at first, they're like, why? Like, we don't do that. And I said, well, this is different, right? Well, you're a white male. It may not matter to you what you look like. Um, me, that sure as heck is important. 
I want my clients to know, I want every single person I meet with to, to know that, yes, you have a black financial advisor. And I was prepared, you know, going into the industry knowing that, hey, there may be some people that aren't okay with that. And that's their problem. Right? But I want to make it very clear, be very transparent. Like, yes, you have an African-American male as your financial advisor. Um, now, so I'm being honest, surprisingly, I don't think it's been too much of an issue, really, if at all, in my first couple of years here. Uh, now, like Sonia mentioned, you know, where you naturally always have that doubt in your head, like, oh, this client or this prospect didn't continue working with me. Why is it? Well, is it because I'm an African-American? You're always going to have that thought. I think anyone would. Um, but, you know, you can't let that fear or that potential conflict um, stop you from having a great attitude and just tackling it head on. You know, that's all it is. It's all about attitude and knowing that, yeah, there's going to be some challenges that everyone's going to face. Being a minority in a predominantly white field is um, it's going to have its challenges. It's going to be tough. But I think just having a great attitude is what's what one led me to this great firm affinity group and i think is really what's going to keep me not only here at affinity group for a very long time but just in the industry for a very long time as well yeah i think that's a great point antoine in that i i came to financial planning i feel like partially because i knew that women were underrepresented in the field and i wanted to be that person at the table where you know women could come to a firm and find someone that was also a woman if they wanted that. And it's not necessarily the case that every woman needs to work with a woman advisor or every person of color wants to work with an advisor that's a person of color, but it should be an option. You know, like I feel like that should always be an option when we're dealing with professionals that, you know, the professionals that we deal with, you know, we can see some representation of ourselves in that field at least, or at least, I don't know, I feel like it's important. That's 100% important. A lot of people don't realize that until you are that minority, until you are an African-American, you are a woman or you're a woman, right? A lot of people may not realize what it's like to go your entire life. And like, for example, growing, you know, my upbringing, I didn't have a lot of African-American teachers, right? So every single African-American teacher that I did have, best believe I remember them, right? But if you flip the script, if I was a, if I was a, you know, a white kid, you know, it'd probably be a little weird if you took a white kid and have them never have a white teacher, right? We're so used to it. You're, comp you're used to seeing people that are like you, you know, you know, it's nothing. It, the majority of the population probably wouldn't think about that because they're so used to seeing someone who is like them in places where they want to be, such as being that advisor, being that firefighter, being that principal or whatever it is. Um, but it's different when you're the minority. Yeah. I think this was one of your questions, Antoine, but do, and this is a good question, I think, for either of you, but Sonia, for example, do you think it was important to you to have a mentor that you could talk to about all of this when you were going through your career? And do you think that's been especially important when you're maybe a little isolated in a small town? Do you still have someone you can go to? Oh, oh, absolutely. I have actually, um, her name is Dr. Malvini Seymour. I met her when I was a resident in Memphis. She was in private practice for over 30 years. She's my go-to for clinical issues. She's my go-to to handle difficult issues with administration. Um, she's a friend as well as a mentor. Um, and I also have my, I call them my OB sister, S-I-S-T-A-H, <laughs> sister group. 
Um, these are two women that one is was my chief and the other was below me in residency. She was a year below me. So, um, I mean, we, we, we are we're text messaging each other sometimes about clinical issues, you know, well, how would you handle this? How would you handle that? And then sometimes also, how do you deal with, you know, the, the person who's, well, I can give you an example. Um, you know, and I think I told Corey about this before. Um, you know, well, how do you deal with someone when you're the only black person in the room and, you, and you're the physician, but then they start getting in conversation and asking you questions about your hair? And, um, it, it's, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the situation when you're the CEO or the CMO calls you by your first name, right? Um, how do you deal with the situation when your colleague says something that can be perceived as something racist? So a lot of times when you don't have someone to talk to, you know, I, I'm on my phone text messaging my sisters. Just say, hey, let me tell you what just happened. And we can kind of go back and forth. And that kind of helps me to get through the day sometimes, you know. Um, so yeah, you need a support group. I mean, you need people to say, no, it is not you. You're, you're an amazing physician. You know what you're doing. And it's them. I mean, otherwise, I don't know. I just don't know how... You can't go through a profession like this and not have someone else to lean on. Um, you just can't. So those people are very vital to my career. Absolutely. Yeah, I would 100% piggyback. I think um, a little while ago, I had a big turning, a breakdown point in my career. If I'm being really, really honest, it's kind of tough to say, but I had a really tough break point. Um, you know, here at Finity Group, we have a lot of financial planning presentations. For anyone who hasn't checked them out um, on a firm's website, we should have a ton of presentations. Click on and watch and learn more. But we give a lot of those presentations, you know, virtually, online. And I, I'm a big presenter, so I'll give some of those presentations. Also, department talks to specific programs. Well, we gave one, you know, coming out of COVID to a small program or a program at UC Davis. And it was my very first in-person one. I was with one of my colleagues here in Sacramento. And I was excited. I was jacked. I'm like, heck yeah, let's do this. I'm tired of doing this in front of a computer with a white wall behind me. You know, I'm ready to go shake hands. You know, post-COVID life, let's go. My first time being around my potential clients, clients, doctors in person. Uh, we got there. It was a very small group. But for the first time in my life, I freaked out. For anyone who knows Antoine, I am a big extrovert. I love talking to people. I will go talk to anyone, any stranger. I will smile. I will make you feel like I've, you've known me your whole life. I love talking to people. I'm a big people person, but I honestly freaked out. I had like a little mini panic attack because I realized for the first time I felt, whoa, here I am, this minority, new kid on the block, talking to these doctors. They're going to be making a lot of money. And here I am, this, like, I don't, I don't have any doctor family members. You know, the night before, I was talking to a couple. They just moved to Orange, California. They tell me, oh, yeah, we bought this, like, $2 million home. We both have Teslas. You know what I'm saying? They're thinking, like, no one in my community has anything like that. Okay? I've never had anyone live in a house more worth a million dollars. I don't know anyone in my family or my community who has or can afford a Tesla. Right? And it's like, these are the people that I talk to every day. So it's the first time that here I am face to face talking to someone and they're supposed to listen to me. 
right? This kid who grew up, you know, middle to low class black kid from Sacramento. That was tough. And it hit, it's not, it smacked me right in the face. Like, whoa, like how are these doctors, these rich white males, everyone in the room is actually a white male. Why are they supposed to listen to me? And I had a really, really hard time swallowing that. It was really tough. Um, yeah, that was a really hard thing. But I have this great mentor that I speak with. His name is Charles Audie. Um, he's out in tech, Dallas, Texas, both part of a group uh, called Quad A, Association of African American Advisors. And for about, I think, coming on two years now, um, he's been my mentor. We connect every week. And I was able to talk talk through this with him. Um, he ended up, you know, really teaching me and explaining to me what imposter syndrome was. And I think that's exactly what it was. You know, I talked to my other colleagues here at Finito Group, you know, great mentorship, if any, don't get me wrong. But at some point, there's a conversation that comes up where you just can't really relate. Uh, that was one of those conversations, for sure. Uh, you know, how can you relate? Uh, how can you have a conversation about being a minority in that kind of situation with people who are almost never the minorities? Um, and that's where having a mentor who can relate with you more um, tremendously helped me. After that night, I mean, I freaked out. I had, it was a terrible drive home. I was wondering, man, I don't think I could do this anymore. Right? I felt like one of those weird computer kids who, who's good at hiding behind a computer the whole life. So I was like, hey, maybe I should just never meet my clients to stay behind my laptop. It's a lot easier doing this financial advising thing that way. Um, but I said, no, like I have to be able to meet my clients. I have to be able to talk to them. Like, I don't think I could do this. Um, but I had a great hard talk really over two weeks. It wasn't just our one hour session. It was two meetings, um, connecting with him and really talking it through someone who relates and understands that has been through the kind of things that I've been through. So having a mentor is extremely important. Even in college, I had a great mentor who was an older football guy, another African-American who I can explain these kind of feelings with, and they actually understand because they've been there. Aside from having mentors to, to talk about that stuff with, how do you overcome some of those obstacles? Yeah, a lot of it, I think it really just comes down to attitude. I mean, it is tough. I mean, it's it's not easy. Don't get it wrong. I mean, every single day, I, when was the last time I personally spoke to an African-American client? You know, count on one hand how many this year I've talked to. I Every single day, I talk to people who don't look like me, who don't sound like me, who don't have the same experiences as me. Um, but again, it's not the situation at your hand, it's what you do with it. That's what matters. I think Ray Lewis said it back in his one of my favorite Madden intros. Um, it's not about the fact that you fail, but it's what you do when you fail. Um, so it's not the fact that you're in a hard situation. It's going to be tough. And I know it's going to be like this for most likely the rest of my career. Um, but how I handle that situation is what really matters for it. And I think of what it comes down to is just your attitude, grit, and also a lot of faith. You know, just me personally, it's a lot of faith, a lot of prayer, and just um, staying true to that belief that, hey, I think I'm supposed to be doing this. I think I'm helping a lot of good people and just maintaining a really good mindset and great attitude. Sonia, do you have any specific strategies that you use? You feel like it's a lot of attitude, too. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I totally agree. I, I think my, my way of coping is I work here in Linton, but I, my home is in St. John, Indiana, and I'm able to travel back and forth where I have, you know, 
not a lot of friends, but I'm close to Chicago. I can I can see other people when I go shopping. You know, I can take a weekend trip and go see my family. I think, like he's like Antoine said, having faith. I mean, I prayed about this position, whether this was for me, because it's so different than what I was used to, or even if I wanted something like this. Um, but you know, my family, my friends, um, being able to kind of have the flexibility to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, um, really gives me a respite. Um, there's times when sometimes it can be, a, it can be overwhelming. Um, like Anton said, I, mean, I had, this is really funny that he mentioned his having a, going a whole year sometimes only seeing one black person as a client, but um, uh, I, I had my first black woman patient like yesterday. You have no idea how excited I was. <laughs> I was like, wow, hey, how you doing? Where are you from? Where do you live? You know, like, it, it, I mean, I've been here for close to close to a year. In, in September will be a year, and I had one black woman physician. I, you know, it, I'm not physician, I'm sorry, one black woman patient. And um, so there's times when, I, when I'm able to go home and just, you know, see my family, see my friends, and just be me, you know? I, I think Antoine knows this, you know, code switching, that is a real thing. Um, how I speak to, um, how I speak and how I present myself here in the office, it's very, very different than how I would speak and present myself if I was in an office that was predominantly black and brown people. It's, you know, it, it's a, just a different way of behaving. I can't, you know, I can't sit and have camaraderie in a way with my white patients the way I can with my black patients. And I'm not saying that um, just because you, you're black or you're, you know, that you can re, you completely get each other because that's definitely not true. I want to make that very clear. Um, there is a class, a classism that's there too that I also encounter when I work in, I work in a predominantly black and brown um, office um, you know, you know, just because I'm a black woman doesn't mean they'll automatically relate to me. You know, there's a part of them sometimes that sees me as not a part of them because they look at me as a physician. Um, they think they know my background. Um, and so that can be a barrier too. But I don't know. Yeah. Netflix is a, a <laughs> Netflix, uh, some wine sometimes and going home and visiting my family and friends. That's what I could do. And I go to church too. I do believe. So I want to put that out there too. But that's kind of how I just kind of rejuvenate and, um, you know, refill my spirit to come back next week and do it all over again. <laughs> kind of dovetailing on that Self point care. you made about... <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of dovetailing on that point you made about interacting with patients, and you've told me before that sometimes feel like you're you're helping open the eyes and minds of people you interact with because you might be the first black person they've ever met and now you're delivering their baby like what is that like crazy you know if this is really interesting so you know i mean i and this was also really amazing about being in a a small community um everyone knows everybody here so a lot of my patients that i see now um i've i've taken care of their mothers their grandmothers their aunts their sisters people at the at the hospital um, who work there to come and see me um, you know 
if I have a patient who I may not know, maybe she's a walk-in, meaning she gets her care of somebody someplace else, and if I have to re, you know, reevaluate her at the hospital and I'm walking in, so she's, she's not familiar with me at all, you can kind of see the look of shock on their face. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, it's, um, I've never had, so far, knock on wood, I pray that I don't, and I hope that doesn't happen, but it's been a good experience. You know, I, I think um, now I, I I think it would be very grandiose of me and or very naive of me to think that just my presence will change generations of thoughts about who I am to them, right? Like how they see black people. I just don't think me and my myself alone will change that. But I think just the exposure maybe helps. I don't know, um, but I know my goal is to give good care, and my goal is to make sure that they're they're given the respect as a patient, um, and I do that. I do that well, and I think they see that. You know, I, I just don't believe that they can go to other places. You know, we are we are the you know only there's myself and another physician that's here. We're both two women OBGYNs, but I just don't believe that patients would refer their family members to me if they didn't know that I did a good job and took care of them. And that to me is the biggest compliment, regardless of me being black or because I'm black. And I think some for some patients, I think, I don't know, I kind of feel like sometimes it makes them feel good to know that they have a, a, a doctor who's black, you know? And I, you know, that's, that's the, and I'm gonna say this, and it may be controversial, but sometimes having someone who's black and you're interacting with them can kind of make you feel like, well, you know what, I don't, I'm not racist or I don't have to deal with the microaggressions, you know, it's not there because my doctor's black, you know, sometimes it can be a pass for them. But, you know, I'm hoping that me being in this community and being an integral part of this community, I mean, I've, some patients have invited me to, to church and I've gone <laughs> and it's, it's something where, um, you know, I hope they see me for me, and um, if they change one person's mind, then that's great. But um, yeah, so it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. Hey, Anton, what about for you? What does it feel like advising predominantly white clients, and do you notice any differences in working with white versus minority clients? Yeah, good question. Um... You know, is there a difference to a degree? I mean, financial advice essentially isn't changing, right? It's all about helping our maximizing our clients' potentials and reaching their financial goals. The advice isn't really changing, but the goals, um, I would say from my experience, seem to be a little somewhat different. You know, every single household and their family is going to have different goals all around. But when it comes to working with just minorities in general, not just African American, but also like Asian or Latinos, right? They seem to be a little more, I would argue, family-oriented. So a lot of those clients from, again, my experience would say, hey, you know, I really want to make sure that I'm saving for my kid's college, you know, or I really want to make sure that I'm able to take care of my parents, you know, I'm going to have family moving in with me. So that changes things a little bit on the planning front in terms of, okay, what do we do with the assets that are available to us? I would say that just be one nuance, a little one difference in terms of working with minority clients versus non-minority clients. But just in 
general and the impact that I hope to have, I would definitely say that being a financial advisor and the impact that I have there, I hope that's not the biggest impact. One quote that really resonates with me just in life, I believe it was pretty sure it was Kobe Bryant who said, hey, if basketball is my biggest accomplishment, then I failed. This is, in my opinion, one of the best basketball players ever to play, right? And it's like, how do you, how does that make sense? You're like the best to do this. And you're telling me that if that's the greatest thing you've done, then you failed? We'll give that context, right? He wants to be more than just a basketball player. You know, financial advising, a lot of, I would argue a lot of people in the industry for a financial advisor get us this industry and say, yes, I want to make just a ton of money, make a ton, ton of money being doing this financial advising thing. That's never been my goal. I made that clear from day one, even when I was interviewing uh, to work for many companies. So, you know, ultimately, I want to get back to my community. In my upbringing, I've seen a lot of people who are like me um, didn't make it to the places that they wanted than that they aspired to make it. And that comes from a different, a number of situations, different reasons. But one that I saw very commonly with close people that I love and care about to this day is financial complications at home. I one of my very, very best friends. Um, he easily could have gone to play college football at a very, very high level, uh, but he had to stop playing sports like senior year. Why? Because he had to get a job so he can help get food on the table for his mom and his two or three little sisters. You know, it's tough. You see someone with this great potential, but because of financial circumstances, a combination of other things in life, but because of those things that happened at home, well, now you have this kid who can't fulfill those dreams and aspirations that they had a heck of a lot of potential to do. So my ultimate goal is the same exact way how Sonia said, hey, you know, I'm being impactful to my clients, you know, looking at the African-American population differently after having this experience with me. I hope to be that similar light in my community, and I really hope to give back to my community. I want to show, like for example, I really want to coach high school football. Uh, financial advising, I hope, is not the biggest thing that I do in life. I hope being not only a great coach to the next generations to come, but a great mentor to those future generations to come is far surpassed more successful, however you equate that, than me being a financial advisor. I really hope to show, particularly minorities and people who look like me, that hey, you can be better than what you see, right? You may see people like you who may, don't make it too far, who may not go to college, right? But those other people that you see are, who are successful, those common white males, yeah, you can do that. Let me be a good example and let me help guide you and support you in getting there. That's definitely one of my biggest um, just goals as a person, you know, walking on this earth. I want to be impactful to other people and do everything that I can to make sure that, you know, all the little black guys and little black girls everywhere can achieve those long-term goals and those dreams. They don't think, oh, that's just, that's not for people like me, or, you know, I can't really make it. No, yes, you can. Let me help you. Love it. Yeah, Sonia, I wrote a, like, a blog post just speaking about, like, how this affects people financially. But I, I wrote one about like pay differentials in medicine and specifically like how women get paid less than men in medicine, which is true across the board for like all professions in the U.S. But it seems like it's especially so in medicine. Like, do you feel like that has affected you? Or I mean, I guess it's probably hard to quantify, but do you feel like there has been like some way that you've been held back financially because of your race or gender? Um, 
<laughs> I wish you could see my face. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, my, you know, I think about me. I think about my other doctors, doctor friends, and we talk about the the difference in pay and how we have to fight for um, to prove our worth. Um, yeah, it, it's affected um, my ability to to be able to go to do what I want to do to be able to save what I want to save. I'm probably starting off with more debt than most physicians because my family, I'm the first, I mean, I've had PhDs in my family, but I'm the first MD in my family. You know, um, you know, I didn't have grandma and grandpa to go back on to help me pay for this or help me put a down payment on my first home. You know, those things sometimes are so just common amongst people who are not black, you know, and when you don't have that foundation, you are, you are starting from a very different starting point, you know. So um, it is difficult, you know. I, you know that's another reason why I took this position. I, I made it very clear to them, and I think this is this comes with time and being just knowing who you are in your career and maturing in your career. That I am not going to take this. This is this is what I want, and um, and if you don't want to give it to me, then I'll go someplace else. <laughs> now, would I have done that like? Five years ago, probably not. But you know, now where I'm at in my life, you know, um, you know your worth, and you know you get tired of being treated as if your worth is less than anyone else's. And so, um, yeah, it's been it, it can be difficult. I mean, this is a conversation I have with every woman physician that I know about the disparity in pay. It is a real thing. It is a real thing, and it's disgusting. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that it's so hard to see because pay is sometimes there's there's a lack of transparency with pay. And so it's, it's so hard to like point at one person and be like, you are not paying me enough for this reason, because you don't necessarily know what every doctor around you is making. No, but you can tell when they have multiple homes and they have, you know, they talk about their <laughs> their trips and the cars. I mean, like it's it's something like I'm like, what do you think? How is it that you can afford all these things? I mean, I, I, you know, and I can't. Like, how is that possible? But then there is a generational, there's generational wealth that doesn't exist in the black community that happens in other, other people's communities, you know? I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I have a pretty, my home is beautiful, you know? My neighbor uh, was, I, I was getting my mammogram, excuse me, but I was getting my mammogram, and the ultrasonographer who walked into the room was my neighbor. Now, how is that my ultrasonographer can afford where I'm living? <laughs> that just blew my mind. I have to be a physician to live where I'm living. And she can be the ultrasonographer who's married. And I'm pretty sure she probably makes more than him. I don't know. But you see what I'm saying? It's just, it's just very, there is a difference. You know, when you talk about your mortgage rates, when I, you know, when I, when I found out when I got in my home and, um, I don't know, you know, I, I realized that the mortgage rate that I received was very different than, um, it was very different than I know what I could have received. So it's, it's very, because you feel kind of hopeless at times when you, you can't, you don't know how to fight that. How do you control that, you know? So, yeah. I think information is so important. And I think, you know, that's why it's really important to have conversations like this, just because the more information you have, the more power you have to make it different. 
Well, I have to say, Corey's been Corey's been great for me. So you know, he's always kind of kept me on a yeah, absolutely. And narrow. <laughs> As how what have you done to try and combat some of those things? And you mentioned like with the mortgage rate, that that's tough. But like on the pay side, you know, what what do you do at, at work or or with the administrators? I, I totally renegotiated my salary, and I think I you know I, I took an effort to do that. Um, that was a nice thing. Um, you know, but I really think too, speaking up for myself and, and was big. You know, my brother, you know, my mom, um, my mom, my, my stepdad is white. So my brother is white and he lives in LA. And, um, and it's funny how we grew up together, but we can have very different perspectives and things. But um, it was amazing to me how he was so comfortable just negotiating his salary. Just saying, you know what? He was like, yeah, they, they, they gave me 20000 more. And I thought to myself, I should have gone, gone higher. And I was like, that's your first thought? You should have gone higher? I would have been like, great, yay, thank you. You know, <laughs> you know? but it, it's, it's so, I mean, I think it's something where it's just culturally um, inbred in us, one, as women, and then two, as me, too, as a black woman, you know, not to be an advocate for yourself. And it's hard to do when you're constantly being told that you're not worth it. You know, but you have to find that way. So, going back to the the cultural side of things, and, and I'm curious how you guys cope with some of those differences. Like Antoine, you mentioned at, at George Fox, you, you'd rather talk to the volleyball girls than talk about tractors, which I don't blame you. And then, <laughs> you know, Sonia, I imagine it's tough finding decent Italian food or a good Philly cheesesteak in rural Indiana. Uh, like, are, how do you guys handle that? Well, I know for me, when I go back home to Jersey, the first thing I do is get a cheesesteak or a hoagie. Those are the two things that I get because I, and I would never go to one of those, what is it, um, chain New Jersey Philly cheesesteak places. I, I have to be in Philly or New Jersey. Yellow Submarine in Maple Shade, New Jersey is the best place ever. So, um, but I really think, honestly, what helps me um, to stay here in Linton is when I do, I'm closer to Chicago, um, when I'm home, my home home, and um, I'm able to go to go to Hyde Park, you know, I'm able to go to places where it's majority black people and just get some barbecue, get some soul food, you know, that, those are, that's really important for me. I don't, there's no way I could stay here if I didn't have that. <laughs> it's just no way. Yeah, I would definitely piggyback off of that. You know, how do you stay true to you when you're in a environment where there's not a whole lot of views? And I think it's that exact thing. You know, I, was, I could never thank my father enough. I mean, every single home football game that I had, he was there. Every single one. So it was very comforting, especially during football season, to always have my family there, him and his girlfriend. Every single home game. Uh, they were there, same seats. That was very easy to spot them out, uh, looking into the crowd. Okay, ah, ah, yep, there you are, same seat. Uh, but it makes you feel like home. And every single time they came, especially on the food side, played college football, so I like to eat. Uh, they always brought me some food. Dad, oh, ribs, always had two slabs of ribs. Every time he came, I told Dad, don't even come. You're not bringing me no ribs or some peach cobbler, you know? So... Uh, always had a little bit of home there. Had just enough food to get me over to the next football game. I try to space it up, make it last. Um, 
Yeah, it was just trying to keep a piece of you everywhere. Eventually, once I got my own spot out in Oregon, I would barbecue myself. You know, a lot of my... I, this is, I don't want to come off wrong, but it was really interesting being in college. And I told... I forgot who it was, but I told someone, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm barbecue some ribs over the weekend. And they said, oh, what? Oh, I can make ribs, too. Yeah, I like to, like, boil them in water. And I said, wait, what? <laughs> like, that was... The he's just like slap. What did you just say? Like, yeah, you know, I like to boil my ribs. And I started asking, you know, non minorities at my school, hey, like, how do you make ribs? Oh, you know, you like boil them. And I'm like, wow, like, that's insane. Um, so I made ribs how I know how to make ribs and I, I barbecue, but yeah, just keeping a piece of you everywhere there, everywhere you go, and just having that, um good taste of some home-cooked meals, but really just never forgetting who you are and where you come from. Next time, if you come up here to visit, Antoine, remind me to make some ribs. We'll see how mine stack up and if they meet your standards. No, you just you have to both make them. It'll be like a turkey cook-off, but for nowadays. Yeah, well, <laughs> last time we did our affinity Thanksgiving, I, I decided I wanted to make ribs instead of turkey, and I think they were a hit, but we'll see. I'm about to take you up on it. No boiling, I'm assuming. No, I did the the slow wood pellet smoker. There we go, yeah. Excellent. Low and slow, that's the way to do it. <laughs> I guess for both of you, knowing what you know now, what would you tell the younger version of you to prepare for this journey? Um, I was on um, the younger version, of my, what would I say to me starting off? Um, you know, simply, you're going to be okay. <laughs> it will all work out. Everything that happens and you don't know why is for a reason. All the trials and tribulations, the disappointments, the heartbreaks, the doubting, it all works out and you're going to be okay. And you're going to be happy. I wouldn't change not one thing during my career, and that's really hard to say. Now, if you ask me, would you do all over again? That's a whole different question, right? <laughs> but, you know, it, for all those things that have happened to me, um, it brought me to here, this little town in Indiana where I am the only black person walking around Walmart, where people see me, see my patients see me, they say hi. When I go to the grocery store, they know me and they say hi. You know, and, and I just feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. And, I mean, I, I really love it here. You know, it's, um, did I, re I this is what I tell people when I, when, when, when I tell them I work here. It's like falling in love with someone that you never thought you would fall in love with and you can't believe it's happening and you're trying to deny it. And at, one, at some point you have to say it's happening and I'm happy. And, and, and that's where I'm at here. <laughs> but it's all going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, if I was talking to younger Antoine, I would just preach what I learned in college football from the great head coach Casey, triple O and triple A opportunity over obligation everything is i get to rather than i have to it's gonna be a lot of tough days it's gonna be a lot of tough things that happen but just maintain triple a all about attitude just understand that every single opportunity that comes up is something that you get to do rather than you have to do some days are 
gonna be hard. It's gonna suck. I would say, Antoine, just keep that fighting spirit and just think of it like you're running track and you're coming off of that second curve and you're trying to hawk someone. Just maintain that attitude no matter how far away they are. Just keep pushing and give them your best. But at the end of the day, um, remember that last name is Wary and go get them. I like it. I'm going to run through a wall. Well, thank you. Thank you both. This has been super enlightening. Um, I'm glad we could make this happen. But any any last words of wisdom before we wrap it up here and call it a day? I would just say, you know, I, I want to say to you, Corey, I've known you for a while. And um, the fact that you even wanted to discuss this was just an amazing thing. And I, you know, I really, I, no one's ever, no white person has ever, ever wanted to know what it's like to be a black person. Um, working in a predominantly white area. Um, so I just want to thank you for, for just being interested. So I appreciate it. I really do. And you're a Jersey boy, so, you know, you're cool. So that's, that's why I always stay with Corey, because Corey's a, he's a Jersey boy, you know. So. <laughs> Adopted, sort of. I'm not, I'm from Oregon, but my dad's from Jersey, and I got a lot of extended family there. So it's like a... Well, your dad, your dad went to Pensacola. Yeah, you right? guys went to the same high school. That's, yeah. and see, and when, when Corey told me all those years ago, when Corey told me his dad was, 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 uh, went to Pensacola High, I was like, oh yeah, I'm staying with you. You know, I'm going to stay with you. <laughs> Small world. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yep. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on the affinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at theaffinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.